the old year is passing away and the new year approaches. How will you look back on your life in the year 2020? What might you anticipate as you look forward to this new year of 2021? We can gain much worthy insight from a group of Christians who left a very difficult year behind them, but then dove headlong into an even more difficult year ahead. These intrepid souls are prominently etched into the portrait of American history. We know them as the Pilgrims. This past November marked the 400th anniversary of the day that a group of Puritan colonists first set foot on the New World on a spot of land they named Plymouth Colony. You might have even seen the postage stamp which commemorated this 400th anniversary of the landing at Plymouth Harbor of 102 pilgrims as they disembarked from their ship, the Mayflower. What happened on that day in 1620 and in the year that followed is woven into the very fabric of American culture. Over time, these intrepid Christians came to be known as the Pilgrim Fathers, largely because the principles on which they founded their colony gave birth 200 years later to the Constitution, which knit together 13 former British colonies into one new American nation. Now, almost 250 years after independence, the same Constitution still binds our now 50 states in testimony to the greatest success story of self-government in the entirety of human history. We remember that first landing at Plymouth Harbor. We remember that first Thanksgiving celebration a year later. But what never comes to mind is that one single act of courage without which None of this would be remembered. The day that made possible everything that came afterwards was the day these pilgrims sent the Mayflower back to England. This colony of pilgrims has sent the ship away. There will be no other ship returning with more supplies. These pilgrims must survive only on what God gives them there. There will be no protection offered by armies of British soldiers. These pilgrims must depend, depend on God to protect them against unknown threats. There will be no retreat, no ship waiting offshore to which they can flee to safety. This small band of Puritans can only move forward, their eyes fixed on the vision that brought them into the unexplored, the unknown, and the uncertain. This colony of pilgrims has sent the ship away. 
Already, in that spring of 1621, the Wender had taken almost half of their number. Only three of the original families remain unbroken by death. Already, the winter has consumed their food supplies. Already, they have warded off an initial attack by Indians. And yet, after all that, the colony of Puritan Christians has chosen to send the ship away. 21st of April was the day that they bid farewell to Captain Christopher Jones, though he begged them to return with him to the safety of England. As the pilgrims watch the Mayflower from on shore, they can hear the first mate's commands, the chant of the seamen as they turn the windlass and slowly raise the anchor. They watch as the breeze catches the Mayflower's sails and the ship begins to move away from them and toward the harbor entrance. And when the distant echoes of the last goodbyes die out, an apprehensive silence falls over these Puritan Christians. Some stand tall and resolute, some quietly some are bowed in prayer. Never have they been more completely in God's hands, for they have sent the ship away. The Thanksgiving feast these pilgrims would celebrate six months later in October was born that day in April. Their gratitude, the gratitude in the hearts that autumn was born in the courage of springtime, not in the comfort of harvest. Their thankfulness was a thankfulness that came from faith, not a thankfulness that came from sight. But faith in what? Was it faith in their resources? Was it faith in their resourcefulness? Was it faith in their resolve? No, not at all. We Americans celebrate Thanksgiving Day each November because this band of pilgrims place their confidence in God alone, not in what he had already done for them, but in what he promised that he would do for them. For after they did send the ship away, in his providential care, God gave them a settlement, a guide, and a protector. God gave them a settlement, a cleared area carved out of the forest and ready for homes to be built. This settlement had previously been occupied by the Patuxet Indians, a vicious tribe which had wiped, been wiped out by a plague four years earlier. The pilgrims landed in that very spot, not because this was the plan, but because the Mayflower had been blown 400 miles off course. They were forced to land there. 
After they sent the ship away, God also gave them a guide. Squanto was his name, the last of the Patuxets, who years before had been taken captive and brought to Spain and then England where he learned English and received and embraced Christ as Savior, only to return home and discover that his tribe was completely gone. It was Squanto whose knowledge of the area enabled the pilgrims' bountiful harvest, which we celebrate every year. Furthermore, after they sent the ship away, God gave them a protector. Massasoit, the sachem or chief of the Wampanoag tribe, one of only two Indian leaders on the northeast coast of the New World who would welcome these Europeans in peace. Friends, the point is this. These pilgrims did not send the ship away in the fall after they knew how God would provide for their needs. They sent the ship away in the spring when all they could do was till the soil and plant seed. Faith to these pilgrims was a confident expectation that their God had called them out of the world to be a people who were set aside expressly for his purposes. They read the same scriptures that we have today, but they read these scriptures not from the King James Version of 1611, but the 1599 Geneva Bible translation, translated into English by other Englishmen who, like these pilgrims, had also been driven away from England because of their faith. And in this 1599 translation of the scriptures, they read from Philippians, where God commands his people to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That phrase, be careful for nothing, in today's English means be anxious for nothing, or simply the command, do not worry. The phrase, yeah, th this is not the modern day, laissez-faire, mindless, don't worry, be happy of the Bobby McFerrin song. This is the confidence born of courage. Courage to believe God when he says through the prophet Jeremiah, for I know the thoughts, the thoughts uh, that I have toward you, saith the Lord, even the thoughts toward peace and not of trouble, to give you an end and your hope. Then you shall cry unto me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hear you. And ye shall seek me and find me, because ye shall seek me with all your heart. It's hard not to read that version without a little bit of Scottish lilt to the thing here. It's just, it, it just fits. And like the captives of Judah for whom this passage was originally meant, God also directed his thoughts toward this people who had pushed everything into the center of the table and said, we're all in. God's thoughts 
toward them were indeed thoughts of peace, not of trouble or calamity or disaster. So when their property had been confiscated in England due to religious persecution, was it because God intended calamity? When they endured the taunts of the sailors on the Mayflower as it crossed the Atlantic, was that because God intended calamity? When the longhouse, which they had built first on their arrival, caught fire, a fire in which they lost much of their warm winter clothing, was it because God intended calamity? Was it for calamity? during that first harsh winter that God brought half their number to the wondrous security of heaven, even though it left husbands without wives and mothers without children? Was it for calamity? No, it was not. These pilgrims trusted the promise of God that nothing could separate them from his loving kindness which is in Christ Jesus. They trusted the scriptures of their Geneva Bible, which translates the words of the psalmist, they that know thy name will trust in thee, for thou, Lord, has not failed them that seek thee. Their eyes were forward-looking, expectant, in faith anticipating good things from their heavenly Father, things of eternal value deepest satisfaction. Friends, the future can be a very scary thing. Is there a ship that you keep anchored in your harbor just in case? Is there a ship in your life that provides you with your security blanket for future uncertainties? Is it your bank account, your job, your skill, your intelligence, your education? Is it your comforts, your cupboard, your children, your marriage? Is it your home, your fine car, your video systems, your entertainments? Or maybe you are fearful about the future. Fear about how politicians will disrupt and dishevel your life. Fear about living in a nation that seems as if it's being turned upside down. Fear about having enough to provide for your family. The Thanksgiving feast of Plymouth Colony was born in the courage of springtime, not in the comfort of harvest. The Thanksgiving feast these pilgrims would celebrate in October was born that day in April when they sent the ship away. The captain of the Mayflower begged the surviving members of Plymouth Colony to return to England with his ship. He saw no evidence of God's goodness to all these English exiles. Instead, everything around them seemed to be falling apart. He might have even exclaimed, everything that has happened to you people since you boarded my ship has been a disaster. Yet still, they sent the ship away. They chose not to look back 
but to turn their sights forward. Now, doubtless, they took heart and took to heart the words of the Apostle Paul as he himself contemplated his life and weighed those things which he personally counted as most valuable, that for which he would choose to strive for the security of his own future. Here's how it would have sounded to them as they read their new 1599 translation. Yea, doubtless, I think all things but loss, for the excellent knowledge sake of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have counted all things, for whom I have counted all things loss, and do judge them to be dung, that I might win Christ and be found in him, that is, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, even righteousness, which is of God through faith, that I may know him and the virtue of his resurrection and the fellowship of his afflictions and be made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained to it, either were already perfect, but I follow if that I may comprehend that for whose sake I am comprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself that I have attained to it, but one thing I do, I forget that which is behind, and I endeavor myself unto that which is before, and I follow hard toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I wish you could see these spellings. They just absolutely... You, you have to look at the word already, A-L-R-E-A-D-I-E, -E, and it has to be pronounced already. <laughs> now, that passage from Paul's letter to the church at Philippi, chapter 3, verses 8 to 14. In modern English, we would hear Paul say, I press on to make this salvation my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Forgetting what lies behind, I am straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Among the Bible scholars whom I consulted about this text, I like what James Montgomery Boyce has to say. Boyce pastored 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia for 30 years and was a champion for the cause of biblical inerrancy. Here's how he summarizes what Paul is saying in this passage. Paul says that he had learned to press ahead in three ways. First, he forgets those things that are behind. Second, he looks forward to those things that are ahead. Third, he presses on toward the mark of the prize of God's calling. In Paul's mind, there was a sanctified forgetting, a sanctified looking ahead, and a sanctified striving toward that to which God had called him. A forgetting, a looking ahead, and a striving. Forgetting occurs, he says, when we cease to let things that are in the past overshadow the present. Instead, constantly looking forward to the work that God still has for us. Years ago, I, when I served on a missionary leadership team, 
I became embroiled in a power struggle with another leader who sought to kill an outreach project which I believed would have brought many thousands of international students face to face with the gospel. And after two years of trying to do the right thing, my body gave out and I succumbed to chronic fatigue syndrome for five years. And so my sending church brought us home on furlough. My pastor met with me soon after we arrived to talk about how I was doing. And, and then he rather shocked me when he concluded, John, I think you're depressed. Well, ever the PR man, I replied that the word depressed could mean a number of things, Dale. Uh, so, what do you mean by depressed? His simple answer punctured my soul. John, depression is when you are focused on the past and on what's been lost. I was stunned. I could hardly even whisper my answer as I said, if that's true, I am very, very depressed. I had become completely focused on the past and on what had been lost, and make no mistake, much had been lost for the sake of the gospel. I was suffering from my lack of faith that God, who is sovereign over all things, had been unjustly robbed by a Christian leader and would not defend himself against that injustice. But I was guilty of not choosing to put my trust in God's power to direct human events and his promise that he would continue to bring future blessings into my life. Let us not become focused on the past, whether evil or good. Rather, let us fix our gaze on what is ahead. But also, we, we should be aware of looking too much into the future, toward the future blessings of God, in such a way that we miss the blessings that God has in store for us in our present moments. When the Apostle Paul writes of the prize of the high calling of God, some assume that Paul speaks of a striving toward a heavenly reward. Dr. Boyce explains, this is not the true meaning of the verses. It is true that the prize is probably a prize received in heaven, but the prize is achieved as in a long race, not by pressing toward the prize itself, but by pressing onto one mark after another along the race course of the Christian life. Friends, is there any doubt as to the myriad blessings which your heavenly Father bestows on you day by day and year by year? 
course not. For he has promised to supply all your needs. Or as the Puritans read it in Philippians 4.19, And my God shall fulfill all your necessities through his riches and glory in Jesus Christ. But these blessings are not an end in themselves. They are a provision for a new purpose which God has given you during your life on earth. The present blessings of God in our lives have a purpose. For as citizens of heaven, we have been left on earth to tell citizens of earth how to become citizens of heaven. This is your daily calling, to be the visible presence of Jesus Christ on earth among those whom God brings into your life's orbit. Each person you meet is like a divine appointment which your heavenly Father made for you so that he can bless them through you. We are citizens of heaven, left on earth, to tell citizens of earth how to become citizens of heaven, how to embrace the kingdom of God which the Lord Jesus came to proclaim. Thirdly, Dr. Boyce says that the Christian life involves not only a forgetting of the past and a looking forward to the things that are ahead, it also involves a striving for these things. You know, it's so easy for us to let our minds be filled with the issues of this world, the temporary, passing, and insignificant things of this world, which can too easily crowd out the lasting and eternal things for which we are to take hold of and which we are to treasure each day. It takes intentionality and focus and perseverance to strive toward our Christian calling. Looking back on the year 2020, some might say that the events of the past year are anything but trivial. But if we would truly take a step back and ponder these things from the perspective of God's working to call a lost people out of darkness and into light, then we must conclude that our focus is not to be fixed on bringing justice to the whole world, but justice into the lives of individual people who are captive to the prince of this world and his determination to bring about chaos and conflict and destruction into their lives. Our focus is to be daily fixed upon God's high calling to be his ambassadors of blessing to the people he brings into our lives, whether they be family, friends, neighbors, or even the angry, sad, selfish people whom you bump into every day in the office or online or masked up in long, socially distanced lines at the store. We are to be bearers of a message of peace from the only prince who can bring true peace. So examine your heart today. 
Are you focused on the injustices of the past? Are you fixed on the battles of the present? Are your eyes captivated by the fear of the future? Is there a ship in your life that you need to send away so that you can focus on today? Focus on your calling to be a bearer of the light of God in a world that has thrown people into chaos? Are you prepared to take God at his word and trust him with your present purposes as well as your eternal destiny? Put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, through the prophet Malachi, and see if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no Getting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Send the ship. measured by obedience, by repentance. And in that moment, may we humbly bow, teach our hearts, show us how. Show us how to fear you more, our Lord, our God, our faithful friend, our greatest end. ask this humbly in the name of the Lord Jesus who set aside everything and came after us to rescue us and to secure for us a place in your presence for eternity. Lord, give us grateful hearts. Give our minds vision and our hearts resilience and determination to press on each moment. With confidence that you in your sovereign power and in your sovereign wisdom are guiding each one of our steps because your love for us is real and tender. Pray in this name of the Holy Jesus.